back when I was in the Army ROTC program in college, I was beginning to train for the annual physical fitness test, which included a two-mile run. And I got into this routine somewhere along the line where at 11 p.m. at night, I would go to the track, because in college, the day was still only a few hours old at that time. <laughs> and I would put my earphones in, which were attached to a yellow Sony Walkman. You remember these? I would press play on my mixtape and Eye of the Tiger would begin blaring through the headphones as I ran. Now in one sense, the song did nothing to strengthen my muscles or increase my lung capacity. I still had to choose to make my legs move, to find the rhythm with my breath, to push through the aches. And yet, have you ever experienced how a really good song has a way of making you move. Maybe you sway a little. Maybe you get up and dance. Maybe you quite literally relax the shoulders. Or in my case, the mixtape music had a way of carrying me along in these late nights. The music inspired me. It even helped reframe the pain as part of a greater journey. The second half of the letter to the Ephesians has a lot of practical exhortations for the church. Lots of details about how the church can uh, build up our spiritual nut muscles and run the race of faith. But before we ever get to all the practicalities of the faith, we have Ephesians 1, which you heard read just moments ago. The mixtape soundtrack of the Christian faith that carries and inspires and frames the whole journey. And mixtape soundtrack, I think, is the right phrase. Mixtape. Because there are a lot of different themes packed tightly together in these verses. We'll talk about that in a moment. And soundtrack. Because scholars have long recognized the hymn-like features in the language and structure of this Ephesians 1 passage when read in the original Greek. In fact, it seems very likely Paul is either quoting an early church hymn or piecing together various phrases from early church hymns. To our ears, the English version probably sounds like a dense theology class, but the truth more readily heard in the Greek is that Paul is bursting here with musical praise. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is doctrine singing. Now, the message of these 11 verses of doxology can hardly be boiled down. It's a diverse mixtape, but in short, Paul is praising God because God in Jesus has blessed us lavishly with free grace. God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. God has destined us to be adopted as children of God. It's worth briefly noting here, Paul is not engaging in some academic debate about the nature of election and predestination. He simply asserts how good it is that before we were ever cognizant of reality, God chose us and God called us. It's a declaration about the depth and breadth of God's unfathomable love. And so for Paul, it is a truth best given expression, not so much in the classroom, but really through the poetry of song. So God blesses, God chooses, God destines, God has a plan more. God, Paul goes on to say, forgives, redeems. The assumption being that we're guilty of, of, of wrong, we are trapped by sin, by death, by injustice, but God has gone to work to save us. Still more, Paul says, God gives us wisdom, insight. God gathers or reconciles all things in Christ. God lavishly bestows grace and an eternal inheritance upon us. 
Did you notice the subject of every verb in this hymn? God. Over and over, God first. And then the stunning array of verbs, right? Blessed, chose, destined, loved, bestowed, lavished. And us? Where are we if, if we are not the subjects of any part of this passage? We are the direct objects, the recipients of the gift of pure grace. If you're here this morning and you're looking for a, a to-do to list of things you know you really should focus on in the new year, details about how to run the race and, and how to move your legs more faithfully, you're just not going to find that here. From first to last, this opening doxology is a proclamation of what God has done and what God is doing. In the song, it does not ask whether or not we assent to these truths so much as it sings these truths and seeks, like all really good music, to move us. And the song, at its most essential, sings this. God has blessed us and chosen us. God has adopted us and loved us. God forgives us and redeems us. God lavishly bestows grace upon us. God has a plan. It's a good one. And it shall prevail. Does that sound like the soundtrack carrying our lives, our church? Is that the soundtrack that frames our approach to the future? The manner in which we approach our work, our marriage, our school, our advocacy, the news. Perhaps it's helpful to consider for a moment what it looks like when a different kind of song takes lead as our soundtrack. David Brooks has this art, uh, book entitled The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life, a book about finding meaning and purpose in life. And in it, he observes this. It, it occurred to me that in our society, there were two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful, were you capable of deep love? In other words, there are the bullet points we put on our resume. And then there are the things about our heart, the stuff that leaves the lasting impression, the weighty stuff for which we are remembered most poignantly at death. And he argues that on the whole, our society, our education city, they primarily focus on training folks to achieve resume virtues. And that's because there is a song playing in our culture, a soundtrack. It plays loudly, incessantly, and with a constant drumbeat. And the message of the song is this. You're not enough. You, your family, your people, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not accomplished enough. You are not beautiful enough. You're not pure enough. You're not chosen or loved. Not really. Not if folks knew everything. No, you need this degree. You need this position. You need this product. You need this neighborhood. You need this group. You must do more. You are not enough. We can spend much of our lives scurrying around listening to the drumbeat, trying to keep up with the Joneses or the corporate ladder or the family expectations or the church expectations, trying somewhere feverishly to be 
enough in. We can even get quite good at filling out resumes of accomplishments and advertising our very best selves on social media, but often we can be quite untrained in cultivating eulogy ethics. In fact, the more we listen to the anxious drumbeat of not enough, the more we cultivate within ourselves the kind of anxiety and fear that is rampant in our society today and actually pulls us further and further from eulogy, ethics. Paul declares there is another song, the soundtrack of reality itself that has played since before the foundation of time. And it goes like this. God has blessed us and chosen us, adopted us and loved us forgives us and redeems us. God lavishes grace upon us. God has a plan. It's a good one. And it shall prevail. Amid the cacophony of competing noise that would otherwise make us anxious, fearful, and foolish, can our souls hear that song? And we need not crane our ears too far to listen for the song. Because listen to how Paul ends our passage in Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance. Paul declares that by way of the Holy Spirit, we have the promises of God's song sealed upon our very being. We live and move and have our being in the promises of God in that song. It's no wonder then that the thing that is most repeated in these 11 verses is this one phrase. We heard it in verses 6, 12, and 14. And the basic declaration is this, that the song of God's promises so fills every fiber of God's people that we cannot help but live, quote, to the praise of God's glory. That's the phrase, to the praise of God's Glory. You see, Paul envisions that not only are the truths of Ephesians 1 the soundtrack for all of reality, Paul envisions that the soundtrack, by way of the Holy Spirit, so lives in and through the people of God that our lives cannot help but be a praise unto the glory of God. Like Jeremiah, the passage there, the redeemed people of God are, are pictured as a people singing. We ourselves, we become the song. It is so impressed within And insofar as the church then blesses and forgives, loves and lavishes grace, the song plays forth and is heard. A few years ago, I was at a concert for an artist named Pat McGee. It was at a small venue in Atlanta, Georgia. Amazing concert. But the thing I'll never forget is the final song of that evening. He was singing one called Shine. Lyrics he wrote about a difficult time in his life. And the final lyrics of that song keep repeating this line, I will live these days. No, I won't hide. It sings like an anthem declaring a light that shall shine with a life that shall shine with light rather than be bound by the slings and arrows and darkness that inevitably assail. I will live these days. No, I won't hide. It's a song about eulogy ethics. And then somewhere during the song, he starts to move off of the stage. It's not planned. He has to kick a couple things off to the side of the stage as he, as he keeps playing the guitar and singing. 
He unplugs his guitar from the amp, which had made him sound and seem so much bigger than he really was. And he leaves the familiarity of the stage, and he starts to walk into the middle of the crowd, 800 people gathered in small round tables in this little venue. Eventually, he keeps playing. He steps on, this wob- on top of this wobbly chair, and then he takes another step onto a table in the middle of all of us, the whole time strumming and playing, I will live these days. No, I won't hide. And I looked, as I looked at him, I saw someone who was not just playing all the chords right, getting the lyrics right, doing things in a technically exceptional manner. His voice and facial expression made it clear that this was a song being sung from the depths of a soul. This was someone for whom the truth of that song was so deeply in his bones that it moved his body quite literally so that every part of himself was expressing the truth that he would live his life as a courageous light even in the dark, even in the unknown, even in the unplanned. And and we were all so swept up by the raw beauty and honesty of this moment being sung forth that we all start singing the line together. I will live these days. No, I won't hide. And to me, it it was one of those musical moments where it was truly unclear whether he was playing the music or the music was playing him. Whether we were singing the lyrics or the lyrics were singing us. There was this symbiosis. The church of Jesus Christ lives and moves and has its being in the soundtrack of reality, given rich articulation in Ephesians 1. It is a song that declares boldly, even in the dark of night, God has blessed us and chosen us. God has adopted us and loved us. God forgives us and God redeems us. God lavishes grace upon us. God has a plan. It's a good one. And it shall prevail. And the way you know that song has taken hold of a people and is truly the soundtrack that is carrying them, inspiring them, framing their whole journey, is that there is a profound symbiosis between the promise and the people, such that the people themselves become the song. To the praise of God's glory, their lives pour forth with the the same blessing and forgiveness, love and grace they have first received. In a day surrounded by the dark of fear and anxiety, splintering denominations, impossible diagnoses, rumors of war. Can there be anything more needful or good than a people not hiding, not captive to the anxious drum beats all around, but precisely amid the cacophony, amid the dark, even amid the pain, they are striding forth with courage, lives carried by love, lives singing love. In what surprising or unfamiliar or vulnerable direction do you sense the song is carrying you this day? And that really is the question, because as we have all experienced, the truth about a truly good song is that it always moves you. And don't be surprised, having taken that first step, if others don't join in the song as well. Let us pray. 
Our gracious God, we give thanks that we live and move and have our being in your gracious song. We pray that you would carry us and shape us and mold us by that song in such a way that, that more and more our lives are an offering of that song, that grace, that love unto the world. And help us, Holy Spirit, to see where you might even have us take the next surprising step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.